Welcome to the 1110 Leadership Podcast, where we tackle issues at the intersection of leadership, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Rob Shields, Vice President of Strategy at 1110 Leadership, and I'm joined by my co-host, founder and CEO of 1110 Leadership, David Spicker. Proverbs 1110 lays out a bold and countercultural vision. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. We're here to ask, what does it look like practically to be this type of leader? Leaders willing to invest everything they have so that everyone around them can thrive. Join us on the journey as we lean in, listen, and learn how to become Proverbs 1110 kind of leaders. The kind of leaders that make our cities rejoice. David. Rob. How are we doing today? Rob, it's launch day. It is launch day, my friend. Congratulations. Your book is out in the world. You did it. February 6th, 2024. The countdown is over. It's at zero. We've been talking about this day. It's here. How are you You feeling about that? That's surreal. You know, you think about it for a while and then it's here and now it's for real. It's really something. It's a day I'll always remember. Well, I'm excited. I know that you've put a lot of work and intentionality. This has really been a what five-year journey of mm-hmm. when you first had this idea and putting pen to paper. And I won't spoil anything, but we're taking a break from our typical format and from our, our goal series, which we'll return to in the coming weeks. But you got to do something special because not every day do you write a book and it becomes available. And so we're pausing to be able to do a special launch episode. David, will you frame up what our listeners are, what's, what we have in store for them. Yes. Today, our listeners will be able to listen to a recording of the interview that we did at the launch party event we did a few days ago, celebrating the launch of the book, where Jess Averhart interviewed me. Jess is a close friend, an extraordinary leader. She's in one of our Jess leadership groups. She has her own company called Jess & Co., and was the former director of Leadership Triangle here in the Raleigh-Durham area. And we just had a really fun time with uh, all my friends <laughs> who came to celebrate uh, the launch of the book. And so for those who were not able to attend, we wanted you to get a taste of what that was like. Awesome. So without further ado, I'll, we'll, we'll turn the floor over to you and our listeners will be able to hear that conversation between you and Jess, I think they're in for a real treat. And so we'll see you on the other side. All right. Thank you all so much for being here. We're excited about what's in store for the evening. My name is Rob Shields. I'm on David's team, 1110 Leadership. We're excited to have you all here tonight. I have the privilege of introducing you to my friend, Jess Averhart. Jess and I go back a ways. In many ways, as I was thinking about how to introduce her, I don't get this privilege very often, but it is a privilege. Early in my career, I was a fledgling nonprofit leader, and I had a meeting with Jess and one of her associates. And in so many ways, I think back on that time, she has embodied to me the principles of this book in that I was someone who had very little social capital and power. She had all of that, and she chose to give it away to me, and she didn't have to do that. And to me, that's been a friendship that started then that has continued where she just You find people in your life who are for you. That's who Jess has been for me in my career, but also just in my life. And so it's been a real blessing to think about having her play this role tonight to be able to interview David, because in many ways, she she really is kind of a a living embodiment of the book. 
And she's not the only one. There are people in this room that also fit that category, but she's definitely one that has, has blessed my life. So you're in for a real treat tonight. Without further ado, can we just give it up for Jess and for David and turn the floor over to them? Thank you. That was so lovely, Rob. Thank you. I was like, he's doing a real intro. I was taking me back in time. It was amazing. Um, uh, can we uh, really celebrate why we're here tonight? This is obviously not about me. I'm honored to be sitting next to you. And I want to, before we get into this conversation, I would like to give you your flowers. So if we can all just stand and give this man a hand. It takes a lot to write a book, y'all. It takes a lot to write a book. Thank you, David. Thank you. It takes a lot to write anything. It takes a lot to write a book to completion. And it takes a lot to write a book that can change the world, that can change leaders, that can change a consciousness, that can change minds, and you've done that, friend. And so thank you so much for the time, the investment in this project, in this beautiful space, and, and all the love that you have in this room is real because it means a lot. I know this is hard for you, isn't it? Can you tell? He's like, oh my gosh, why did I agree to do this? Just here's the book, buy it and leave. No. Can, can you help? Let's start off with, because I was doing a quick zip around the room and looking at all the very serious, very thoughtful, how do we change the world questions. And then I get to this picture. Excuse me, Ben, behind you, sir. Could you stand and just point to this picture? Somebody help me out. And the only person who understands what's going on here, it's, it's like, oh, affordable housing and flourishing and thriving. And then you in some blue Nikes, help me out. Jordans, blue Jordans. What's that about? Yeah, so I was way ahead of my time. What can I say, right? <laughs> so this is 1986, March 1986. My brother is here, my older brother. This was his wedding day. And I somehow, 16 years old, figured out how to buy some light blue Air Jordans without telling anyone. Because even though it was his day, I wanted my moment, right? <laughs> so after the wedding, we went to the car. I secretly changed my shoes, and then I pranced in, walked into the reception with my Air Jordans on, because it was all about me <laughs> when I was 16, which is the start of my journey of justice, justice. right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Very good. All right, and, and you are a Tar Heel fan. Yes. yes. Any other Tar Heel fans in the house? Thought I'd give them some love. Your roommates are here. Where's our roommates? I heard y'all like popped in, surprised him. That's amazing. Love it. And your family? Do you want to acknowledge family. your family? Yes. So I've mentioned my brother Anderson is right here in the front row. My mom is in the back. Wave your hand, mom. They, they came today from Nashville, Tennessee. And of course, my wife, Alice, who's right here up front. And all of the dessert, all of the food is catered by Alice and friends, so please know that. And then our kids are here. Ben is right here in the front row. Scott, Meg, where's Meg? Yeah, and then Claire is not here, our youngest. She's on a ski trip with friends. And Sarah is our new addition to our family, who's going <laughs> to join our family. She and Scott got engaged in November, and they're going to be married in October. So we're really Congratulations. excited about that. Yeah, because you wrote the book, but your family had to put up with it. 
Yes. They did. Yes. Yeah. I sure. mean, it's a it's a real effort because yes. you slip away. Mm-hmm. You're mentally focusing on the work. You're mm-hmm. thinking, creating vision, framing it, and your family has to survive around it, right? So kudos, fam. Great job. All right. So we, just before I get into some questions, I know we have about 20 minutes. David and I, you know, Rob did a nice job of framing our relationship, but David and I kind of stumbled across each other in this world, right around, around justice, around how the intersectionality of Christianity and business. And that's a topic that doesn't often get explored. It's touchy, right? It's, the, it's like politics and religion. We don't touch it, right? Let's just talk around it. And we would find ourselves, I think, our, I can't remember specifically, but we were on a panel together with Erica. And, and, we, and I, I was literally just blown away by your thought leadership. And in particular, the way in which you communicate your thoughts. You have a very special, like, touch of the angels, the way you talk to people about your ideas, the way you frame them, the way you pull the facts and the data and the scripture to make the case. But never do you feel in that moment that you're subject to a judgment or it's just more like, this is for consideration. I framed it. I believe it. I stand on it. But it's for your consideration and for you to apply to your life. And I was just mesmerized, really, by the way you are also very authentic and honest about your personal story and your journey, very humble. And so when you said you were working on a book project, I was like, finally, now the world gets, gets that gift. You know, just have to find your way into a room and a panel to hear David talk and hear his thought leadership. So this really is a gift for folks to be able to get into your mind on how you frame this up in the business world and world in general, but the business world specifically. So can you talk to us about, you know, what motivated you? By the way, have y'all got your copy? You got your sticky notes? You're going to need them. You're going to need them. All right. What motivated you to write the book, David? Well, I appreciate what you just said, and I'll try to be coherent tonight, because <laughs> this is overwhelming. Uh, this is my life in one room, and if I were to answer that question, what motivated me, it's really many, if not all of you, in the way that you've been a part of my journey, and so it's a life journey that I feel like I've kind of culminated in this book. <clears throat> it's centered on this little verse that is a cornerstone of the book, Proverbs 11.10, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And it just really hit me. I heard it for the first time from a friend, Dr. Amy Sherman, who wrote a book called Kingdom Calling. And she unpacked what this verse means. The righteous are people who use their power, wealth, and influence, not for themselves, but for others. And when that happens, the city rejoices. And the word in that in that verse, rejoice, is a wild party. This is dancing after the national championship and running over fires on Franklin Street, guys. This is it's a wild celebration. And instead of people getting bitter because people are using their power, wealth, and influence for themselves, the whole city, the entire city is rejoicing, which is such a compelling vision for what it means to be just. And to be honest, I learned so much of that from many of you. That 
I just, when I read that verse, I was like, I know what that looks like. I've seen it. And I've seen it from so many of you in my life who've made those realities come to life. And so as I began to think about that, I thought, well, shoot, should I write a book? I've always wanted to write a book. It's nice to write a book. Man, let's write a book. This happens. And then you have to have people who believe in you and believe that you have something worthy to share. That's Alice. Alice was number one on the list of telling me that I have something worthy to share. Then I think about Jeff, our pastor, Susan's husband, right? Who we walk every, or run, we used to run every Monday. Now we walk. (laughs) (laughs) And we would have these conversations and he said, you have something worthy to share. Folks at Jobs for Life, you guys know, during our journey, I tried to write a book at the end and it didn't quite come together, but there was always this, this little thing. That was, at the, that was there. My guys, we have a monthly conference call <clears throat> every month, my college roommates, for 30 years. It's amazing. Our senior year, we all live together in Chapel Hill, and we've been living life together. And so to have people around you to, to say, yes, you can do this. And then it all came together, too, when I met Chris, Chris Papalardo. And because I could not write it myself, and I knew that that was my barrier, and he was my editor from day one. And somehow God has gifted him with the ability to find someone else's voice and take their words to a level where they want them communicated at the right heart level. And so, honestly, Chris, you gave me wind behind my sails to make this even possible. So I want to make sure that he's understood who he is. All you, all you guys know who, who Chris is and how much he was a part of this journey. Behind the scenes, one in no credit. But he made this possible so that I can have... People say they've been reading the book and they say it's so readable. I, go, I don't realize how vulnerable this is, you know, to, oh, you like it? Okay, great. <laughs> but Chris, Chris made it readable. You know, these are tough topics for business leaders, primarily leaders in general, but business leaders in particular, and lots of stuff that is really hard for us to navigate, we threaded some needles that we had to thread, and there was no way I could have done it without him. So thank you. Thank you to all, all of you who I mentioned. And again, as you're here, it's a reflection of how this is embodied in the book. So you touched on this. I know when you start thinking through the framework and the outline of a book, you have to imagine an archetype. You, you have to decide who your audience is. We'd love it to be everyone. I said you're changing the world. The whole city is rejoicing. But honestly, the book isn't really written for the whole city. You have written this book for a specific audience. And you mentioned business leader, but I'd love for you to talk to us about who did you have in mind as you were thinking about the words on the page, who, who was the person? Who's the archetype for this book? Yeah, that was a really hard decision because you want to write it for everybody, but you have to find a niche. And the reason why I wrote it is I've met leaders along my way, particularly in my time at Jobs for Life, and particularly business leaders, who didn't have a framework for how to think about the issues centered around justice that I knew were at the core of what it meant for them to thrive. And in many ways, I was writing to myself 
as I even read the book, I'm like, I don't do that. I don't do that. And it's a challenge for me and myself. So in some ways, I'm writing to someone like me. But as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about what does it look like for us to lean into God's heart for justice in this world that's so fractured around this heavy term that has so many things that are causing us to be divided. And yet God has given us such a unique way to think about what it means to be just. Because like I said, I've, I've seen it before through many of you. And I met business leaders who are longing for something else. Many are scattered. They're exhausted. They're hurried. They're reactive in the way that they lead. And <clears throat> self-help books that you get, you know, kind of strengthen you and kind of talk positive things to yourself and things like that, which are not necessarily bad. But I knew God had a very, very different formula for what it looks like for us to be whole. And really, I wanted us all to experience wholeness, to experience God's fullness. And again, I've found through the life experiences that I've had that the pathway is through emptying ourselves, through decreasing so that others increase, to being willing to be gritty and to get into places where there, there's brokenness. And that's where we find our wholeness, by doing the opposite. So when you say justice to a business audience, it's a non-starter. <laughs> it's like, no thanks. But it's interesting when you say to be a just leader. People kind of perk up. They sit up on the edge of their seat and go, tell me a little bit more about that. And it's been really interesting because we do this in, in groups where we talk about these issues to see how these things really resonate and you start to see it chip away. We start to see some real impact as a, as a result. Thriving. When you grab this book, if you haven't read it, the first, I don't know, many, many pages, 20 pages, I kept highlighting thriving, thriving. You know, there are certain words that really like hit you. And obviously, it's on your title of your book, The Just Leader, Thriving in a Fractured World. You just talked about it. But for me, it's like water in a desert because I want to feel that way. I want to feel like in my life, I know how to thrive. Like, what is that? It sometimes feels a little intangible, right? Like, you know it's the word. You know you want it. How do you get it? And there was some felt like directional signs for me in the in the opening and then you you show us the way right but it was like I kept following the signs he keeps talking about thriving and you end the opening of of the introduction of the book with this feels like a thesis on and, and maybe how you set up the uh, impetus for the book leaders thrive by being just in the end, there's only one road from fractured to flourishing. The road to justice and the road to thriving are one. That's challenging. And you put it out here like people could just shut the book and be done right there. The road to justice and the road to thriving are one. Is there anything you want to kind of expand on there other than yeah, say read the next page? Yeah, there's no other 278 pages of that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it goes back to what I was saying. You know, you think of Jeremiah 29, 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which you have been sent to exile. Pray for the city because when it prospers, what happens? You prosper. 
So God always has for us an outward orientation. He always calls his believers to have an outward orientation to the people that are in our path, but also this whole idea of a city, a place, a community, of what it can look like for us to have foretastes of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So when that happens, you have this, it's that word rejoices, and it's the Hebrew word talos, T-A-A-L-O-S. It's a wild party. And we need wild parties, right? Where everybody rejoices, even those who are the poorest of the poor, the most overlooked groups in our communities, the most marginalized, they are dancing wildly in the streets because they're groups of people called the Sadakim, the righteous, in that verse, Proverbs 11.10, who know that they steward their resources not for themselves but for everybody else. And so everybody is dancing, even those who are most marginalized, because they know that when the Sadakim win, what happens? Everyone wins. And we don't have a framework for that, an everyone-win framework, right? We live in a win-lose environment. And when you're talking to business leaders, yeah, right. You know, how do you even think about this and be competitive? How do you think about this and pay your people well? How do you think about this and not work with that company where you can make a lot of money because they're doing practices that you don't believe in or you know are not just? Can you say no to them? Like, that, those are real questions around how this then operates. And so you've got to raise your level of leadership to be world-class. To be just, you got to thrive. You also have to be world-class because that means you have to be that much better, that much more efficient in order to have the kind of impact where everyone wins. So it's, it's for our thriving because you know. I mean, when you spend yourselves for those in need, I mean, we've all had those experiences. It fills us up. I wish, you know, I use so many other things to try, me, try to fill me up. Good things. My family, relationships, my job. I think about money, all those things. But I know that that's not going to ultimately make me thrive. So that's the idea. Yeah. How these two things are in parallel, right? And that's the hope that we can raise up an army of Sadakim who want to see the whole city rejoice. So the, the thing that's an interesting question then is what does our success need to look like in order for the whole city to rejoice, right? It's one of the first questions we ask in our groups because you have to think, okay, what is my success now? How do I measure it? What do I pursue so that even the poorest of the poor in my community would, say, would go, I am so glad David is successful. It's a lot to unpack. It's challenging. Read the book. Read the book. <laughs> we got Read a lot the of book. them up here. Read the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's challenging. It's, it's challenging. challenging. And I'm not an expert. Yeah. And that's really important. Like, I'm not an expert. And as I mentioned in the book, this is not a destination being just. It's a journey. You just pursue it. And the good news, we're going to live forever in a very just and perfect world. And we get to see a foretaste because that's what God wants for us here. But we know what's coming. And so that's why we can be so confident to spend ourselves because we're, our lives are secure. We're already set. 
No matter what we have, what we don't have, we're all, we're all good. If we believe the one who's ultimately just, right? Amen. We're having church in here. We're, at, we're in a church. Amen. <laughs> yeah, we are. Also that, Mary Meta right now. Yeah. We, it's challenging. I'm so, I'm just so proud of you for leaning into the calling of what, of the, of the culmination of your lived experiences. This is, this is the other thing that I found. You said it was an easy read. People are saying it's an easy read. It is easy read, meaning you can, you can digest it. You, you find yourself in it challenging read for sure all the way through and I'm not like I know I'm kind of joking with these little tabs I had to stop with the tabs because it was like becoming too much for me right I had to like find the big themes because the micro themes were convicting me and I'm like well every other sentence is a micro theme so I got to keep pushing to the big themes right um but what I what I want to talk to you about is and why the read is so enjoyable and challenging at the same time is that you do a brilliant job, again, opening your life up to the stories that brought you here. There are stories upon stories upon real life moments, upon tough decisions, upon judgment calls that you had to make, upon conviction that it's just a beautiful way to sort of say, yes, I know a lot of things and I'm able to make some cool connections because this is a life's work. But at the same time, it's like it comes from a place, many places. And so there are a lot of influences in here. I loved your storytelling. I love the characters in the story, real people, when I say characters, but like real stories in here. So I, I don't want to steal something. I'm curious what those influences are, and maybe like one that stands out. That just, that one. just maybe one or two, whatever no. you want to say. But there's so many in here. I'm just curious which had the most impact. Who motive or the people who have invested in me? Start with dad and mom. Wish dad were here. Dad died two years ago. He was 90, lived a full life. I write about it in the story, every, in the book. Every morning, I would hear him go down the steps at 5.30 in the morning. He was a doctor at Vanderbilt University, and I would hear him go down the steps, and he would go underneath my room into his study. And I knew as I rolled over for a few more hours of sleep that my dad was underneath me praying for me. What does that do? to a young boy to understand that kind of faithfulness. Mom was involved with so many nonprofit organizations in Nashville. She started them. She was on several boards. I was the youngest, the baby of the family. My brother and sister not seven and nine years older than me. So when they were off at college, I was being drug around to all these meetings with my black and white TV. And uh, she promised me uh, a, a McDonald's milkshake afterwards. I was, Bribery. And it's again, good. in the in the book, I say I talk about how I was the only ten year old boy who was ever in a Girl Scout parade in the, in Cookville, <laughs> Tennessee. <clears throat> but Mom's tenacity, her strength, her compassion, her desire to be in gritty environments and to fix broken things—you know—I learned these things. Anderson and Susan Anderson, I can remember being in your room and accepting Jesus. And when I was 10 or 12, I can't remember. Anderson has been my hero. 
And when he went to college, I cried like a baby. When he would come home from college, I was like a puppy at, a, at the window waiting for him to come home. He was my hero. He would take me with all of his friends, and I was like, like their, part of their group. And then Susan, my sister, <clears throat> she was nine years older than me, but again, she took care of me, and for her, I learned what it meant to really pay attention to people and ask them really good questions when I was young. Don't talk about just yourself. Ask really good questions. So it starts there, and that was more than one. Sorry, I've got the mic. <laughs> Friends, you guys, our, and then our, our kids, like Ben, Scott, Meg, and Claire, they've lived this journey with us. And what I love about our kids more than anything right now, the gift of them loving each other, but also they want to be about things that matter. And it just, as a parent and a dad, you just, what do you say about that? And I'm just so proud of them, so love them so much, and love that we can be on this journey together. Pastor Donald McCoy, back in the back, wave your, wave your hand, sir. And Pat Mangum, where's Pat? Yes, wave your hand. Pat is Chris Mangum's wife. So Chris and Pastor McCoy, if you read chapter one, their story, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But I could not have greater models of what the Sadakim is all about. Pastor McCoy, chemist full-time with the state of North Carolina, while pastoring Pleasant Hill United Church of Christ. Uh, you might get after me tonight, Pastor, but I'm going to tell everybody that you're 81 years old <laughs> and you're still pastoring your church. Because of the way Pastor McCoy and Chris pursued one another in relationship, there are thousands of people across the world who are, have experienced the dignity of work through the work of Jobs for Life because it was through them pursuing one another just to have lunch together every week that they came up with the idea of Jobs for Life that has been going over 25 years and has operated all around the world. And through him and through our team at Jobs for Life, Daniel, Latoya, Alex, Jesse and Spencer, Ryan, Shay, Margaret, just Jobs for Life and what I was able to experience through that. And then all the business leaders that are now coming to be a part of these just leadership groups and are saying, yes, I want to be a part of that, and are walking through the kinds of concepts that we're talking about in the book to apply these in their businesses. You know, I just had a sneaking idea, and I had a few people, you know who you are, who said, this is worth pursuing. And when I decided to transition from Jobs for Life, after 18 years, I had no plans of a job. Alice quit her job, and our two oldest were going to college. It made no sense, and yet God has provided. And I just, it's been such an act of faith to take a step, but I've been so encouraged by the way that this is the fruit. So anyway, yeah. I just took that and ran with I it. I love it, friends. I'm sorry. Listen, but I, is, I, you're the man of the hour. Yeah, I'm thank just you. here for the ride. I, they're just people I needed to mention, and... Yeah. I'm glad to be able to do that. Yeah, the stories are abounding in the book. The story of Jobs for Life sort of just reminds me of God's power and the pieces 
that he is setting forth. We don't see them all. We can't see them all. We're not meant to see them all. We are not God. But those pieces are there, and we just need to lean in, like breadcrumbs, lean into the moment and see the fruit. And this is an extension of that. This is an extension of that, Pastor. I mean, this is that moment, right? doesn't happen without it. So it feels, gives me chills, really. I was actually tearing up a little bit. I was like, it's just, and, and I, there are moments in the book where it's very emotional for me and because of the writing, but also because you see God's work in your words, you see it. You're like, wow, this, and you make the case in there. If this didn't happen, this wouldn't happen. And this wouldn't happen. And this wouldn't happen. And we wouldn't be here tonight. All the steps are small. Yep. They're all small. Yep. The big bad world out there and what it means to be just and all the stuff that's going on. It's paralyzing. You, go, you throw your hands up. And there are things that we can't change. You take the small step. And this is what happens. Yeah, I think about Pastor McCoy and Chris. If you weren't having lunch, we would not be here right now. We would not be here. Pat, we would not be here. Powerful. It's powerful. All right, so we're landing the plane. Where's Rob? That's his favorite line. <laughs> He's gotten a lot of feedback about that. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, I had to bring you back in, friend. I had to bring it in. So we are going to land the plane here on this. I want you to, because you're talking about the small steps and then the back of the book, because you are an amazing author and you know the right thing to do. You set us up with this alley-oop of all the things and you're just like, <gasps> can feel a little overwhelming. And then you're like, and here's how you execute here are the actions here's what to do what's next what do you wish for people who read the book what is your hope for them maybe just one hope yeah I mean I hope one hope I'll try to give one hope not 17 I hope they have a vision for what it means to be the Sadakim to be a leader who helps their city rejoice and I hope then they tell somebody else about what that would be and what their small step is going to be. We give a lot of things that you can do. You can take an assessment. You can do all kinds of things. But this doesn't happen in isolation. The book is intended to be read and experienced in community and tied to place, too. That's why this is so important. If, if even I was thinking about you guys in particular, I'd hope that you would experience the book in in a small group, or to do it with a group of people, even in a family context, so that you wrestle with these issues. It's kind of rewiring ourselves. It's almost like we have to, we've been so conditioned in other ways that it takes time. When we do our just leadership groups, we set them up for two years, because it takes time. And we have a group that hasn't stopped. They're in their fifth year. And we're still having same conversations that we had at the very beginning because you have to keep going. So if I, if I really were to hope is that people would read the book and then say, I need to do this with a group of people and to bring them together and, and uh, experience this and wrestle with these issues, not in isolation. Um, I'm actually, thank you for setting that up for me. I'm in one of these groups with a group of amazing women. Uh, a few of them are in this room. I see Mary. Who else? Alice, of course, is everybody. Oh, there's everybody. Ashley, yep. Okay, so we have our women's group, and we just talked about this. What is our leadership role 
in creating a city that is rejoicing? What does that mean for Jess Averhart? What's the work that I need to do? And one of the things our group said just this past week or two weeks ago, whatever, was this idea of, and I'm talking to the women in here, to the ladies. Men, you can take it too, cause it, but I'm talking to ladies specifically. Is that sometimes the world makes us want to be small, right? We're small and we have to be quiet at times or we have to find our role in our place. And we, we create space where that makes sense because we are valuable and we contribute and we do a lot. And so, and we're like, that might be enough. But what would it look like, ladies, if we get big and we have big leadership and we expand ourselves and we find our role in new spaces and in corners and around in places that we wouldn't dare go because the world says we shouldn't go there, that our voice isn't needed there. If we want a city to rejoice, it takes all of us. And I think this world tries to bifurcate and say that leadership, big leadership lives here and doesn't live here. I'm a support. I'm, I'm the sidekick. And, but for that city to rejoice, everybody needs to find their big voice, expand in ways they've never imagined. And that's when the community changes. That's when we find, that's when equity yeah. makes its way into the conversation. Yeah. It's about creativity and imagination, not guilt and shame. When people think of justice and being just, we do it because we feel guilty or we feel some sense of shame. But this little verse, Proverbs 11:10, we named our business after it, 11:10 leadership. When the righteous do what? They prosper. They're big, expansive. That was our word. Expansive. The city rejoices and everybody wins. So go for it. Go for it. Be big. Be expansive. Prosper. Make money. And steward it well so that the whole city can rejoice. Don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty. God's placed each of you where you are for a purpose and for a reason. And whether we have little power, wealth, and influence or a lot, we all have some. And we can use it for everyone to win. Yes, go for it, you go said. Go for yes, it. Yes, friend, go for it. High five. Uh, high five, let's do it. <laughs> All right, yes, let's give a hand, let's give a hand. They were like, you said that was the last question. <laughs> it is the last question, but is there anything for this room specifically besides buy a book? I gotta get mine for my friends. But we're gonna do Q&A, but is there anything specifically you wanna, want yeah, Rob's, folks to do? Rob's gonna give direction, yeah. Oh, okay, so we'll come Rob on, do. Rob. Oh, I'm done then, you're saying. Let me go sit in the audience. Hey, isn't Jess amazing? <laughs> this is so awesome. This one, this guy. What an honor. Thank you, seriously. Thank you. Well, I love that. That was my second time hearing it, David. Just as powerful as the first. Well done. Really fun. Man, Jess is amazing. She's so amazing. thankful for her be able to, the way that she really leaned in to, it says, engage with the book, has the record for the most sticky tabs. I mean, I've seen it in person, and it's amazing. It's a rainbow of colors the way that she really did a deep dive and her thoughtfulness, just applying the content to her own life, but then being able to 
really ask you really thoughtful questions that I think made for a really special evening. So I'm excited. I think for our listeners, I, I mentioned that evening, a couple next steps, which I'll share now for our podcast listeners. Now that it is launch day officially, the book is available on Amazon. And so we would encourage you to pick up a copy, buy one for yourself, buy one for a friend. And when you do, would love for you to leave a five-star review on Amazon. This is let us know how you're engaging with the content, what you thought. We'd love to hear that from you. And it also helps to raise awareness for the book and put it on more people's radars. And so buy a copy, leave a review. And then we've also created this e-course, which we alluded to in our conversation last week, that is a companion tool because this book really is meant to be digested and engaged with in relationship. And so this e e-course is just a quick five, 10 minute videos, short videos that really serve as a great companion tool for small group discussion of a variety of different contexts. So we're excited. We'll make the, the link to that resource available in the show notes for our listeners and would love to have you react and hear how that's going. We'll, we'll make our, our email available as well, because if you would love to hear how it's gone, how it goes to reading the book, engaging with the e-course, what stuck out to you? How are people reacting in those contexts? We'd love to be able to hear your feedback. So thanks for going on this journey with us. David, any any final thoughts for for our listeners as we launch this book out into the world? Thank you all. It means a whole lot that you would be willing to buy and purchase a book and engage with us around this. Know you all are a real blessing to me. Awesome. Until next time, my friend. Thank you, Rob. To learn more about 1110 Leadership, visit our website at 1110leadership.com. That's the numerals 11, then spelled out T-E-N leadership.com. That's 11-T-E-N leadership.com. There you'll find more resources to equip you on the journey of becoming an 1110 leader. You can also get connected to our growing leadership network. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. To help others find us, you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.